This is the Mizzou Sports Podcast, presented by the Columbia Daily Tribune. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. My name is Eric Blum, breaking down Mizzou every week here on the show. Joining me, as always, is the Tribune's sports editor, Chris Kwasinski. How you doing, Chris? Good today. Good today, not other days, but good today. Oh, you, you know, it's. Uh, I went to McDonald's last night, and apparently McDonald's drive throughs close at 8 o'clock here. Uh, I don't know if that's a thing or if that's just a DoorDash thing, but... Uh, Might have been due to weather, maybe. Oh, no, no, no. It was, it was, it was fine last night. Yeah. It was maybe. I don't know. I've never heard of McDonald's drive-throughs closing. Period. Yeah. Much, much less closing at eight p.m. Yeah. Like, I mean, was that the reason you had a good, a bad day yesterday? Because it sounds like, I mean, any bad well, day is a bad day when you go to McDonald's. You, you know, I'll, I'll just pull the dad card. Where it's like, you know, you know, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Okay. Well, Ray Kroc, if you're listening, uh, you know. <laughs> Got to get the Columbia McDonald's back on track. I don't think I've actually ever had McDonald's in Columbia, Missouri. Anyway, uh, we're here to talk about Mizzou. It's been, I think, December 20th was our last episode. It was two days before the bowl game uh, and two days before bragging rights. Mizzou did lose both of those. One of those two games was competitive. The other one was not. Take take your pick as to which one was. Uh, Missouri actually probably should have won that bowl game. uh, But a last-second field goal from Army did win it for them. Uh, been a few changes in the program since then. Missouri men's basketball actually has, is it true that they have not won a game since the last time we've done the show? Yeah. Yeah, they're 0-2. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they lost the season opener to Kentucky. Uh, their game last, well, I guess it would have been yesterday at this point, I guess Mississippi State was canceled or postponed due to COVID. Uh, we don't have a, a, re, a rescheduled date as of yet, do we? Uh, I haven't checked. I haven't, I haven't seen it. Uh, so Missouri returns to action on Saturday at home against conference favorite Alabama, and we'll see how that goes. Where do you want to kind of start with all that this week, Chris? Let, let's start uh, a little bit with when you talk about leading into uh, the SEC play and that kind of stuff. And my, my main question for you is, it, is Mizzou going to be favored in any SEC game the rest of the way? Oh, yeah, Georgia. Besides Georgia. Besides Georgia. Depending on the free fall of Arkansas, maybe at home later in the year. Right. May, I mean, I was going to say Vanderbilt, but Vanderbilt looked really good against Arkansas itself. Um, Ole Miss is the definition of okay, but Missouri's worse than them. I'm thinking the two games against Georgia, and then we'll see. So that's eight. 16 won't be favored. Two will be favored. Yeah. I mean, Georgia's their own definition of terrible. Yeah. Like, they really are a horrible. Like, Tom Crane will be fired at the end of this year. Like, like how, do you, how do you keep them? I, I think you, if you do keep him, you're just banking on the recruiting class that he's bringing in because he's bringing in a pretty good recruiting class. But, but at, at the end of the day, it's like you have to live with it if you're like, well, this is good, not great. And besides, he had Anthony Edwards before, and I mean, he could only go so far with the eventual number one overall draft pick in the NBA. So. Right, and, and I mean that team was. I mean that team had Severe Wheeler on it too, who's now at Kentucky and doing really well, and just they just couldn't put it together there. So. I mean, dark times for Georgia men's basketball, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, for, so Missouri men's basketball, you know, uh, you were at Bragging Rights, I was not. And then I covered the game against Kentucky where uh, Conza Martin had previously tested positive for COVID. Uh, but it, it looks like he will be back for the game against Alabama. Uh, Cornell Mann was the acting head coach for the Kentucky game. Uh, but he was there uh, for Bragging Rights. Just your overall impression of those two games. I mean, it seems like Missouri is learning a little bit more on the men's basketball side about how to contend with these elite teams. 
but then the levy gives out eventually. You can see the flashes. I mean, at Bragg and Wright sitting at courtside, it, it wasn't the same, you know, the, the same level of getting blown out as it was against Kansas. Because I mean, once once the going got tough in Kansas, it was over. Um, but when when Mizzou got its you know got got its momentum going at the back end of the first half, and you saw a little bit of what was going on, I was like, well, they they found their identity and they found a way. To, to chip away at Illinois' lead. They found a way to create mismatches. They, uh, they put Kobe Brown on Kofi Coburn, and, it, and that worked for a while because it, it was just how Kobe was playing you know, at the top of the key, forcing Kofi to come up and guard him at the perimeter, which obviously he's playing out of position at that point. But it, it was just kind of finding ways to do that, finding ways to exploit the small mismatches. And uh, I, the one thing that we don't really talk about out of that game, just because it was a, it was a blowout in Illinois' favor, was Trevon Brazil. Was, uh, he had a block party against Kofi. I mean, he blocked like three or four shots in, in, in a row in one specific sequence. It, it, was, it was solid. It was to the point where you realized we could have a, an elite post defender in this kid if we can keep developing developing him in the proper way. He's big. He's got a, you know, a good range. He he can go vertical, he can go horizontal. Like he's a good kid that is a, a building block of the cornerstone of the program. But then you also have to realize that they took away one of the biggest X factors, which was Javon Pickett in a rivalry game, and he wasn't huh. he wasn't able to go and, and cook the same way he was against Kansas and, and in different games, especially like when you think about Central Michigan, how he came on and basically pushed Mizzou past the finish line in, the, in that win but um, it's it was just difficult because they limited him and then Illinois just they just had better players in the end and that's how they pulled away especially with with Kofi Coburn you saw after the game if Mizzou fans are tuning into that one how much that bragging rights meant to Kofi after the game he was holding the trophy he was he was kissing he was rubbing and he was like she's she looks pretty doesn't she <laughs> and it, it was funny but that's just how much he really wanted to win this game especially after the last couple of years where he hasn't been able to get a win in that game so Illinois wanted it more you could tell but there was just flashes flashes of you can see what Mizzou could be if they just kind of find a way to put it all together consistently for 40 minutes and that's what I saw against Kentucky too is Missouri, out of the first meeting time, it just looks like they're flat. But then all, all out of nowhere, they go on a 12-0 run, and then the levy gives out again. And then coming out of halftime, it looks like they make some adjustments, they get back with an eight, and then they go just completely flat again. It, it just there, There's not much middle ground. It's like Missouri, okay, they're turning it on, they're doing great. And I don't think it's just the opponent letting off the gas. Like Missouri's finding ways to get into games. But they just can't sustain it. And I wonder whether that's a defensive problem of they just, when the other team fights back, they have to recess and that just messes with all of their mojo. Or they're just good not, good, not good enough offensively when they get those three, four, five buckets in a row and the other team adjusts and then they just don't have a plan B. I'm not sure which one of those two it is, or maybe it's both. I, I honestly think, because I think about um, the, the three games that stick out, which we mentioned were uh, the Bragging Rights game, Border War with Kansas, and then the Utah game, which they did the last win. And the, when I think about border war and bragging rights, there were two key moments where the momentum shifted back in from Mizzou to the opponent. And I'm thinking about Christian Braun's dunk in border war where, I mean, it was open play, defensive breakdown. He goes up and, I mean, just throws down an emphatic jam. The crowd, the sold out crowd goes nuts. And then he lied in the press conference that he wasn't yelling right at Conzo and he clearly uh, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but, yeah. but yeah, but that play, it shifted everything because at that point, Mizzou was playing pretty well. They were cutting back in the lead. It was down seven at one point. But I just remember that being the shift. And same goes for bragging rights when I think it was Trent Frazier nailed a you think he nailed a shot from like Centralia? It was oh, nuts. Yeah, yeah, he 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 was like at least thirty thirty five feet out and just pulls up and just goes full barbecue chicken serving these threes from the parking lot. And I'm like, how is it? How does he do that? You know? And 
you felt the sh- the momentum shift just specifically back to Illinois at that point. And Mizzou was just never able to get it back because Kofi just kind of put it on his back and said, okay, like, this is my game. And I think that's part of what Brad, Un- uh, excuse me, Brad Underwood, Illinois' coaches kind of tell him at that moment. Like, hey, like, this is your game. Go take it. And he did. Uh, but in, against Utah, the Utes never had that moment where they seized the momentum back. Uh, whenever they were, you know, chipping back the lead, they always had the lead. It was a two-point, three-point lead, kind of going back and forth. But Mizzou always found ways to make plays. And credit to a lot of the fans that were there that kind of helped, you know, keep the momentum in Mizzou's side every time there was a big play. But uh, against Utah, the Utes never got there. And I think that's part of the coaching and experience with Craig Smith dealing with a new Power 5 program coming from Utah State. But in any case, that's just the difference in those games. I, I agree with you. And it clicked in my head what the play was against Kentucky. Uh, it was a fast break, severe Wheeler, puts the lob up. It looks like it's going to nobody, but then Ty Ty Washington comes out of absolutely nowhere and throws down a huge dunk. Missouri out of position defensively, and they just feasted in that way the rest of the game. Yeah. Um, and so I don't want to be remiss because, yes, a lot of the talk on this show we do is uh, men's basketball and football. And I want to wrap up men's basketball before we get to football. But we have, and we'll, we will talk way more about this, but but we need to give absolute respect to what Robin Pitchin's going on, go, got going on right now. It is our fault that we're nine minutes into this show and we have not mentioned this once. Shame on us. And I, and I don't mind saying that. We will get back and do way more about this, but we, we will talk a ton more about that coming up. But I want to wrap up uh, men's basketball here with, you, meant, you, you asked me how many games are they going to be favored in the rest of the year. What do you think a respectable season with what's happened so far looks like for Missouri men's basketball at this point? I, I can't see a route in which Missouri isn't in, the, isn't in the Wednesday portion, one of the bottom four teams of the SEC tournament, which is in Tampa this year, uh, as opposed to Nashville. And the, I think the women's tournament is actually in Nashville, as opposed to Greenville, South Carolina. But um, what does a respectable season because I think, I mean, you can throw the NCAA tournament kind of out the window, or really the postseason out the window at this point. What does success look like to where there's not panic among the program going forward? It's making sure you win the games you have to, which is like you see the when the bottom feeders in the SEC start to really emerge, especially for the first few games of SEC season you kind of identify okay like the, the Georgias and I'm just you know, just saying because I haven't looked at the standings but like the Georgias the Vanderbilts the teams that we've seen struggle we've seen Vanderbilt struggle against Loyola Chicago where Loyola put the clamps down defensively and, and just <laughs> yeah but that's a program that's made I think a sweet, made, made a sweet 60 that's a program who beat Illinois last year I mean I, I know Porter Moser's now at Oklahoma and a few but, players are gone but still point but, taken, point but, taken. but still that that's but that's a team that went to i believe they went to vanderbilt and held them to under 40 points at home which right. like that is nuts so i mean you start to identify the bottom feeder teams the back end of the uh the bottom half of the standings you kind of these are the teams we have to beat it's not okay i want to beat these teams because you want to beat a kentucky you want to beat an alabama lsu but you have to beat the the you know the bottom half of the standings because then that starts to create okay we can then finish 500 in SEC play that we can kind of boost the schedule back to 500 or so and then you go to the SEC tournament and then that's where you can build some momentum with a, a couple of wins in March and obviously this isn't a tournament team but a couple wins there going against not in Alabama and then giving an Alabama game in the SEC tournament obviously would would create a lot of that momentum especially next year with a guy like Aiden Shaw coming in agreed agreed 
Now going on to uh, more of the football talk. I mean, so Missouri did end the season 6-7. and seven. We did talk about sign day a lot last time. Since then, I think Missouri has had – the total is now at eight players who are on the 2021 roster who have now entered the transfer portal. Uh, biggest, The most notable since the last time we came to you being Connor Bazelak. But I think we kind of expected that once Sam Horn signed and uh, it was announced Brady Cook would start the bowl game. He looked really good. Uh, it was It was a matter of – him or Tyler Macon, if not both, entering the transfer portal, I thought, just personally. And Bazelag has entered and has since now committed to Indiana. And today, I think, is the second biggest loss for the team, just on potential alone. Makai Wingo entering the transfer portal almost out of nowhere. We don't know whether it's a let's go play for the former high school coach and, and former MU uh, defensive back Robert Steeples at DeSmet, who got hired at LSU by Brian Kelly, or... Whatever the case may be, if it's an NIL or just a fit thing, this is a kid, and there's probably about a dozen kids you can talk about this way, had a legitimate route to major playing time coming up in 2022. Like a Brady Cook would be on that list, and Elijah Young would probably be on that list. Isaiah McGuire, you know, uh, Martez Manuel, Ennis Rakestraw, Harrison Mavis is locked in at kicker. Um, Maybe even like a Luther Burden, even though he's not here. Makailinko is on that top tier, played in every game but one at defensive tackle in a position they don't have a lot of depth right now, and he's leaving. Yeah. And he was the first player to commit in the class of 2021 in January of 2020, and now is also the first to leave. This, this is this is this is puzzling. I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. Yeah, it's it's you don't know really what else to say until he you know comes out and ex- explains it himself. And I, I think he will in the coming days when you know he can find his spot in the portal and uh, go wherever he goes. I think you kind of mentioned it. I um, you know following the, the high school coach because a lot of people alluded to that in social media, but that's all speculation at this point. But um, I, I just it's just kind of shocking to me, especially from a guy that that gave us like a top ten moment for Missouri football in 2021 with his uh, f- return fumble for a touchdown against North Texas. Interception. It was an interception. Yeah, excuse me, bad. Um, I was thinking of, uh, uh, was just doing a little bit on Akil Byers, who just declared for the NFL draft, who, who recovered a fumble for a touchdown a couple years ago against Arkansas. So, um, but but yeah, he had that pick six, I mean, and, and helped uh, Steve Wilkes live up to his Twitter handle at score on D. So uh, that was a that was a top 10 moment of the season right there. It was just it was fun. It cemented a win. You could see uh, you could see the defensive players you know, visibly having fun again. You can see the yeah. improvement on the defensive line under Al Davis and everything, too. So uh, that it's just it's just a little shocking. But, you know, sometimes. Yeah, that's just life, especially in the transfer portal days. And I think that the unquestionable top moment for Mizzou football this year came into the hands of Daniel Parker Jr., who we had already admitted was in the transfer portal, has since landed at Oklahoma. And their position coach there, Joe John Finley, was on Barry Odom's staff here when Parker was recruited. Not that hard to see that connection there. Anything else football-wise you want to get into before we uh, talk more women's basketball here? Uh, I'm just excited to see the eventual quarterback battle between Sam Horn and Brady Cook. And so you're dismissing Tyler Macon? Not dismissing Tyler Macon. I, I think he's got a good chance, but um, I, don't, I don't. I'm dismissing Tyler Macon. That's why I said I, I, at the end of the day, it just, it just. I think it's, I think it's a two horse race at this point. I mean, people, people kind of thought that way when it was, it was a. I don't want to say a four horse race in 2020 between Sean Roberts and Taylor Powell, Brady Cook, and Connor Bazelak, but people kind of saw the hierarchy coming in. You have a buzz of a guy, Sam Horn, and usually Eli likes to kind of talk about the guys and, and, and you know, kind of goes away from talking about the guys that aren't here yet. That hasn't applied to Sam Horn. Uh, I don't know if, why he's impervious to that, but he is. Uh, and Sam Horn won't be here until June because he wants to compete in high school baseball at Collins Hill. Uh, with how Brady Cook looked, I mean, 
legitimately, and I can say this now, kind of reviewing the season that, that Mizzou just had, Brady Cook did so well that he made Drinkwitz kind of look, I don't want to say foolish for not making this change sooner, because we don't know how he would have performed in these games, and Connor Bazelak did enough to get Missouri enough to a bowl game, but there was an aspect of his mobile part of the game that Mizzou had been lacking since Kentucky and didn't have the entire rest of the year. Yeah. And that's also a reason why I don't dismiss Tyler Macon entirely, just because he's got that same that that same skill set. But also, it, it, you, you never really know because he could come back in spring practice and, and just completely wow everybody, you know, and completely just look phenomenal. And uh, same goes for for fall camp too. So that's why I don't dismiss him. And I mean, he was a, a, a like a good quarterback prospect for a reason too. So um, you never know. Yeah, maybe that's foolish for me to dismiss him. But I mean, you would think based on. The data we have in front of us, Brady Cook has the inside track, and if it's not him, maybe you go with the think, thinking of past coaches. And I, I just got done reading Gary Pinkle's book, and he talked a lot about the development of quarterbacks and how you have the you have the old standard, but you always train the guy in waiting. Would you rather train the Sam Horn or the Tyler Macon if Brady Cook's going to start? So that that's kind of my thinking, and that's why I'm, I'm looking at the old standby. It weird, it's weird saying the old standby of Brady Cook when he started two. That was his first college start in Fort Worth, but. It has to be. He's the most experienced college quarterback now on the roster uh, compared to a Tyler Macon or a Sam Warren. I just think mm-hmm. that's an interesting dichotomy. So uh, now getting into women's basketball, uh, Missouri had a phenomenal last week. I wasn't at the game, so why don't you kind of take about t- take it from here about the, what happened against South Carolina, I guess, a week from today. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if we want to talk about um, one of the master classes I've ever seen in basketball coaching, period. I mean, I was on my way back to Columbia from the holidays when – I started to get uh, notified, like, hey, like, there's only going to be eight scholarship available players for Mizzou tonight against South Carolina. And, you know, knowing what you know about South Carolina, knowing what you know about that program that Don Staley's put together, um, it, it's it's a juggernaut. I mean, it's a juggernaut that's developed number one overall draft picks in the WNBA that's uh, got just player after player after player in all American after all American too. Aaliyah Boston is an all American. I mean, and she, she clearly made her presence felt, but I mean, when, when you walk into that game and it really didn't start to click until about really the midway through the third quarter. Cause, cause usually like in games like this, we, we see the, you know, the underdog, the be the aggressor for the first, you know, Hey, we want, we need to punch them in the mouth first. And Mizzou did. You know, really started to keep the game in front of him, keeping it, keep it in check, you know, keep the lead right there. But it really didn't start to click until Mizzou started to go up. And in the first half, you started to see it happen, and then they go into the halftime up six, but then coming out of halftime, uh, South Carolina just roars back, and they cut the lead to, like, 2-1, but they never completely take the lead back. So midway through the third quarter, when I see Mizzou still have the lead, I'm like, this could happen. Like, there's a like there's a chance, and I, and I didn't give them a chance just because they're only playing with eight players. And Robin only used seven. Right. So, like, we're talking about the likes of Haley Troop, Haley Frank, Mobin Debele, um, Sarah Rose Smith, Sarah Rose Smith, and Lauren Hansen, uh, who who played basically an entire basketball game. Right. I want to say Asia Williams can't but, and Kaya Duro were the other two. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, we're talking. I probably butchered, butchered her name. Sorry. No, no, no. It's uh, it's that's that's right. Yeah. Okay. But uh. But we're talking Ladeja Williams, who had a like, who's going up against her former college in South Carolina. Same with Haley Troop. So you know, there's there's a history there. You know, they want to win this game. But with eight players, that the way that they did that, I, I mean, they basically said, you know, we're going to do whatever we can to make sure we keep the post game in check. 
with the All-Americans and the, and the six fives, the six sevens that they have down in the post of South Carolina, and they did that. For the and the other key was Aaliyah Boston kept committing fouls early, so she was sitting on the bench for most of the first half, and then got her third and third quarter. So she sat a little bit there too, and really it really just took away from momentum. But it also took the best players off the court, and and once Mizzou got into a groove, saying okay defensively we're going to make the plays we have to to win and they did but then offensively they had to put the ball in the basket and it was Haley Frank that did that with I mean she he checked herself and like I believe is it the second or third quarter where she just got the, the ball at the top of the key yeah. and, and just drained a three and I'm like oh. so she she's that confident today and Ladeja Williams too went up against those bigs and still grabbed 12 rebounds I know Mizzou overall lost the rebounding effort but the fact that she's she got a an Asia Blackwell double-double in that game, which is what I'm going to coin that phrase now, Asia Blackwell double-double, because those happen so regularly, and she makes it look so effortless. And I didn't realize that Ladesia had that until I looked at the stat sheet in the fourth quarter. I'm like, oh, she's on this. And I, I think the one thing that Robin kind of alluded to uh, Monday at uh, Tiger Talk was she was like looking at some players like, you have you have it left in your tank. You have some stuff left. And I mean, I think Mama Nabele played 43 or 44 minutes out of a 45-minute college basketball game. That's nuts. You don't do that as a human being. Like, you just don't play a high-level college basketball game for that long, but they did. And, I, I mean, the it, the outcome was this was a historic. It was one of the all-time great moments of Mizzou athletics history, period. And I wrote a column about it um, The the going into the night after and uh, going to the morning, like, hey, if you're not paying attention to this team, like, you have to now. Like, you have to. Because this team is better than than you know, most any other team that's going to take the court in for Mizzou in 2021 going into 2022, especially now. They've cemented their, their place in the SEC. Hey, we're a, we're a top team in the SEC. We have one of the best players in the SEC in Asia Blackwell, but we also have LaDasia Williams. We also have Haley Frank, Haley Troop. Izzy Higginbott, who didn't play, but she's still a, one of the, the best freshmen that's going to come off the bench. Sarah Rose Smith, who's been playing out of position all all year just due to injuries, due to some uh, some other absences and that kind of stuff, has been playing phenomenal too, is that defensive X factor that I think is going to pay off later. But also Mama DeBella, who is last year, who is turnovers were kind of a problem but she's really really changed that this year to the point where she is sure-handed with the ball she can also shoot now too she's getting better we've seen that progression from the game one all the way to south carolina and it's it's a little it's a little bit of a bummer that uh they got the game against vanderbilt on sunday postponed but honestly i think they needed that (laughs) i think (laughs) the starters needed that rest too but um it's kind of a blessing in disguise almost but um going against auburn i mean i'm expecting this team with all the momentum to to just take care of business okay so a couple things um so missouri did end up winning that game uh i think 70 to 69 in in overtime when on a lauren hansen uh i guess runner to the lane which dropped with a uh, 0.1 second left and I was very interested to see the South Carolina reaction because uh, Missouri's players had their hands on like they're throwing this ball to Aaliyah Boston, hoping the refs like go back, and that's exactly what they did. And the, and the shot went in, and you see the South Carolina bench come off. I'm like, did they not know that rule? That's like a, that's like common knowledge of college basketball. You need at least point three to score, and there's point one on the clock, and it's not like a tip. And 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 honestly, I think if Aaliyah Boston knew that. This, we might be talking about a different result. If she just volleyball taps it in, she has a shot at that. Yeah. And just did, did Don Staley just not coach that up or something? I mean, as, as accomplished as a coach as Don Staley is, that might have been the difference. That was the first thing I'm thinking of. Like, 
did, did something not get communicated in the huddle? Like, the way they reacted, it's like, okay, like, the, the volleyball tip, did Aaliyah Boston just not do that part of it? But, and you say it's one of the best moments in Mizzou Athletics history. Recently, yes. Overall, probably not. Um, and I, but I will say this. We're just talking about women's basketball. This is That was probably the biggest moment of Robin Pynchon's coaching career at Mizzou. There had kind of been this stigma around her, even 12 years in about her coaching career, that take away the Sophie years, what have you done? And, I mean, she's still done a lot. But she hasn't had that overwhelming, dominant, scare-you-out-of-the-building team without uh, Sophie Cunningham on it, I, I would believe. This is the first team she's had since then, planting your flag in the ground. And the only other game I thought of that probably did the same for Missouri was in the 20, I want to say, 17 or 18 uh, NCAA tournament uh, when they were in the Tallahassee Regional and they hit that buzzer. Sierra Michaelis, who was there mm-hmm. on uh, uh, last Thursday night, hit that buzzer beater at the end of beat South Florida in the opening round before they got uh, beat pretty bad by Florida State the next day, but or two days later. Uh, and I was trying to think about for a long time about a game that meant that much to the program, and that was the one I kind of thought of uh, that came up. But just in terms of excitement for the program, I mean, what what the Mizzou women have done to this point is almost, I think, even more more of an impressive of impressive of a coaching job than anything she did during the Sophie area. To be honest, you know, you have those seven players and. At the end of the day, South Carolina, it's not like South Carolina was like a week number one. You look at their resume and the teams they've taken down, a Stanford, a Maryland. I think they had also played Baylor maybe and beat them. Or just just it just it, 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 a crazy type of non-conference schedule. Then they get to lowly Mizzou Arena. And the longtime fans of Mizzou women's basketball know the history between these programs. And there wasn't that bad blood. And it really seemed like there, there is a mutual respect, whether it was forced or not, between Robin Pinchton and Don Staley. Uh, but it's really cool to see just the difference in, in routes between the program. But yet here they are again at an integral moment for both programs. And I, I, it also brought me right back to this moment two years ago, the first time South Carolina visited. And they were number one in January of, I guess this was 2020, uh, after losing Sophie Cunningham. And the question was asked, you know, to Don Staley, the post-game press conference after they based Don Staley, that was an absolute blowout win for South Carolina, very classic, du- you know, doubling up Mizzou, was asked, how does a program like Mizzou kind of get through t- times like this? And Don Staley gave, a, I thought, a really great answer of, like, we're still hurting losing Asia Wilson, you know? And it's like, we're bringing in all these kids, but we still have a reliance on her. And then, you know, just, well, you got to go out and recruit. you got to go out and recruit. Robin did that and then beat Don Staley with that exact thinking. That, 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 just, that was such a full circle moment to me, looking back at that, because you have a, a player like a Sophie Cunningham who is just, I would say she's generational, but I don't think that even describes it perfectly i think that she is you know the uh, probably the best mizzou athlete per sport of the 21st century maybe i mean i know jaden cox Krista schweitzer and maybe even like a chase daniel have had more success per sport than sophie's teams did but in terms of you, you remove someone from the picture what's the decline of the program I'd be willing to say maybe Sophie had more influence over women's basketball than Jaden or Chris at the height or Chase Daniel did of those respective programs. You, you might be able to debate me on that. But to see Robin put it together with this group of players, Asia Blackwell didn't play. You you had some of your depth gone at the post because of that. But Izzy Higginbottom didn't play. And you pull this off. I mean, it, it, it just... Uh, 
it was it was a, a it was a shocker to me. I mean, I didn't want to say I wrote off Mizzou, but it's like this could be a bad start. And so I wrote my article before, actually the day before the game of the best moments of 2021 in Mizzou uh, or local sports moments. After thinking it over, I mean, this has got to be somewhere in the top five this of is, the year. This is number one. It's not number one. It is number one. And I'll tell you why is because when you think about the players that South Carolina has, I mean, we're, talk- we're not just talking Leah Boston. We're also talking Victoria, uh, Victoria Saxton, uh, Camilla Cardoso. I mean, we're talking about the biggest mismatch of all time, because Mizzou didn't have any height that would compete with that besides uh, Ladeja Williams. We're, we're talking about a severely hampered roster that uh, was another minute away from giving out because they were so exhausted. This was a, a, a coaching strategy that that needed more. Like I'm not, I'm not saying it's luck, but like there needed a lot of things that go right with this coaching strategy. And Robin personally saw, like firsthand, saw the like the execution of this game plan all the way to the end and the players believed in her there was no doubt like oh can we do this without sophie can we do this without it didn't matter because in that moment they believed they could and we're not just talking and you want to go back and you wanted to talk about the resume that south carolina had not only did this south carolina beat six ranked teams they beat number five overall team in nc state yeah they beat number nine overall in oregon they beat number two juggernaut yukon not only did they beat UConn, they beat them 73-57. Double them up, uh, at least double-digit win. They beat Maryland. They beat Duke on the road. And then they beat Stanford, a number two overall Stanford. This, Mizzou should not have won this game. I've written about this in my column. They should not have won this game. They shouldn't have been close. Yeah. But they did. Yeah. The fact that they did, that's, just this, it, it, that's why I disagree. It's one of the biggest Mizzou sports moments of all time, just because of just where the circumstances that played into this. We're talking about the the mismatch. We're talking about the two teams going at it. We're talking about Don Staley, who has an Olympic gold medal from this past summer. I mean, Robin thoroughly coached circles around Don. Ladeja Williams was probably the best post player in that game uh, against a couple of All-Americans, even though Aaliyah Boston scored 17. She just wasn't on the court because she kept getting in foul trouble. Haley Frank was the best player on the court, dropping 21, and you had the most clutch player in Lauren Hansen, who was able to, in, in the, the biggest moment of the game, come up with the best play, going up against two very, very tall players. The height mismatch was there. She still put it down anyway. We're talking about a monumental moment. That's why, to me, this is one of the greatest Mizzou sports moments of all time. Did I trigger you? I'm sorry. No, I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I'm just excited. I, I, yeah, I, I, you're passionate, but okay. it's not just passion. But I mean, I, I'm getting back to to the final seconds of the game yeah. when, I w- when I was watching it and I was, like, I was physically shaking because I'm like, this, this, is, this, is, this is beyond me. This is beyond anyone in this arena. Like, this goes decades of Mizzou athletics. I mean, we're talking about women's college basketball at the foundation, at the very core of, like, of upsets. Like, this lives on in history. It's, like, it's nuts. The first ever basketball team in Mizzou history to upset a number one overall team wild. I, I will give you it is one of the biggest women's basketball, if not the biggest women's basketball moment of, in the school's history. Comparing it with the kick six, comparing it on that level of promise with the school it, it, it is an argument for another day, but I, I don't think so. And I still do disagree with you 
that it is not the number one moment of the year because at the end of the day, I put it number three. At the end of the day, there are two things that happened this past year that in terms of long-term impact could have more of an impact. That the football recruiting class and Desiree's hiring are, I, I think, in terms – because when you talk about the biggest moments at a school the size and production of Missouri, you really have to nitpick when you're talking about the biggest moments of the year. This is, <laughs> this is going to sound so dismissive, but when you're nitpicking – I'm nitpicking at a large scale here. It still is just one game. Missouri has not played their next game yet since playing South Carolina. And I think that you and I have really touched on a and – we'll, and we'll talk about this when we actually go to the arena. We're both covering the game tonight against Auburn. It starts at 7 p.m. We're, this is about 4 o'clock. We're recording this. Um, and I think we've kind of touched on should how the game goes. Some really great pieces of content. I hate to say it. The, 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 the discussion here – leads to really good things to write about I me mean, because they're i think both of our viewpoints are completely valid but you can see it both ways and so if missouri if missouri cannot capitalize on being their one team, if they go and lay an egg against auburn and that's what i wrote about in the preview is like they had this okay great almost building moment against baylor where lauren hansen nearly hit the game winner there and then they had a 28 point loss against missouri state they can get that past them if they don't lose to a, a pretty resurgent Auburn team that uh, they were awful last year and they're pretty good this year um, and so I, I think that in terms of you're talking about the best game of the year for Missouri number one and it's not close to number two like th- this ha- has the potential to do what LSU did for the football team last year and then some because LSU proved not to be that good South Carolina is probably still going to win a national title this year like I mean they are they are so legitimate number one that they received 22 of the 30 first place votes in the AP poll after losing to Missouri and looking really bad that's how legitimate of a resume they still have so in terms of just the long-term impact of Missouri women's basketball if they can use what happened uh last Thursday and moved, that could be one of the bigger turning points of the school year. And I agree with you there. It's in terms of long-term impact, it's more of a set known game changer with those first two compared to this. And like, I was, I almost put softball in the uh, Super Regional last year, number three overall over what ended up probably being there, which is, was the men's basketball thing, just because of how much that regional and super regional getting full crowds back and having that meant to the Columbia community. That was a very unique event in my time covering Mizzou athletics. I will say that South Carolina, if Missouri can ride this out and get into the NCAA tournament and win a game there and have a successful year and like maybe, maybe even push to get a double buy in the SEC tournament, last Thursday is one of the biggest turning points of the program. And I, and I think that's more so where you're coming from in terms of potential to do well for the university. That could be That could prove if they go on a run here with an Asia Black, a fully healthy team, this could be a very, very interesting two years for Mizzou Athletics, for sure. And I think that's kind of what you're harping on. It, it is, but I also think about the future, too. I mean, next year you have uh, one of the best players in the state of Missouri and Avery Kroenke coming in uh, in the recruiting class. And then the year after that, you have another uh, top player in the state of Missouri and Gracie Slaughter coming in, who I, th- I think he's averaging something close to 30 points a game in high school. So, I mean, what, when you when you just talk about the, the long-term impact, I mean, you talk about the Sophie Cunningham days and, and coming off of that. It now it, Robin has a plan now, and, and you see the visible plan coming to fruition where you talk about uh, you have a star in Angel Black well how do you build around that well she's got stars in the next couple of recruiting classes coming in Avery Kroenke and Gracie Slaughter who you can build around and and say hey this is the direction that we're going in how do we build around that and and not to mention the third uh, uh, Linthicum uh, sibling who's coming in next year from Jeff City Hannah Hannah 
excuse me, um, I, get, I just get really excited, but, and, uh, but uh, who's, who's also, Hannah, is also billed as a, a, a baller, a certified star. So, she I mean, can, she can play. She, so she can play, but then you're also adding her to Nasia Blackwell you're getting for another year. And then, uh, I mean, the future's set up. I mean, it's a stark plan that you have in place, which is it pales in comparison to some other programs at Mizzou where you see, like, okay, going forward, like, where do we go from here? kind of a deal so like right now it, it's going to be a really 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 good few years for Missou women's basketball and it started with that punctuation mark right there and, he, and he, I was asked this question on the radio on Monday and we can wrap up the discussion here is Missouri was not ranked after everything we talked about the, the six votes short I'm not a voter Chris is not a voter um, in the AP poll six votes short to be a number 25 in the country here's the weird thing I don't think Robin cares about that at all no. <laughs> it's like in the grand scheme of things would it have been nice a nice little cap on the program and I, and I think I, I said this on the radio and I don't know if this made it in your story I can't remember off the top of my head but I was expecting not only Missouri to make it but jump somewhere 17 to like 20 like the fact when I saw not even ranked it was like huh and I looked at some of the teams that made it over there it just it puzzling a little puzzling it is puzzling but I, I think it also goes back to and I saw a lot of this chatter on social media which is like is this still the Missis, uh, excuse me the Missouri State game kind of coming back to bite them and uh, honestly I, I don't want to say that you know Robin doesn't care about it because I haven't asked for that for sure but I do know that she cares about that Missouri State game that is still bugging her that has bugged her ever since that loss and it will always continue to bug her just because she knows that they that game like it should have been closer and Mizzou should have been in it at the end but it ended up being a blowout in the Bears favor but in any case if that's if not making the AP top 25 is a reminder of that game that's her getting locker room material so I, I think she's okay with it either way because she can say hey remember when this game happened never let this happen again and we're going to be fine because she's talked about that getting over that game getting over that hump it took a couple games because they looked sluggish after that but going into it now it's like okay we're going to see it what this team looks like with not full strength but but more strength than they had last Thursday to the point where like okay now the team knows what it has to do night in and night out to be competitive and be one of the best teams in the SEC. And that, and that's why I think tonight is so important against Auburn. Most of you will probably the game will already happen by the time you listen to this, but that's why tonight's game against Auburn. And I think they have eight games in the next 24 days. Not tripping up too many times over the next couple weeks it will be so huge for them. But, you know, it, 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 it's nice to have a women's asshole program that, you know, we can talk about so passionately here because the past two years, uh, you weren't here, but we're, we're a little rough definitely for the program and I, I, I think you, you can just see the joy coming out of Robin which which is pretty pretty cool so uh, this is where we'll end the traditional part of this episode where we talk about Mizzou sports at the other end of this break if you want to hear uh, us talk about The Bachelor you can do that with our digital editor Gabby Velasquez making her podcast debut but if you don't you can you can stop listening to the episode here I hope you, you stay and listen to The Bachelor talk it's pretty cool it's pretty cool because a former Mizzou uh, football player Clayton Eckert is The Bachelor and had a very interesting first episode that aired on Monday night. Uh, so without uh, further ado, we can go into the break here and then we'll come back and talk about The Bachelor. We would like to thank our sponsors for the Columbia Daily Tribune's Mizzou Sports Podcast, University of Missouri Healthcare. University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics. Blue Events. Let Blue create the perfect event. Their passion for food, Service and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event, no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life. Phyllis Nichols State Farm Insurance. There when things go wrong, 
here to help life go right. The Mizzou Sports Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. Follow Mizzou football with the Tribune's Tiger Extra newsletter. Sign up at ColumbiaTribune.com slash Tiger Extra for stories, galleries, and podcasts in your inbox every Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. And now, back to the show. And welcome back to this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast. Making her podcast debut to talk about The Bachelor is the Missouri Digital Planning Editor. I don't know your exact title. Planning Editor is pretty accurate. I just can't believe that after... Over two years here, the first time I get on this podcast is not because of anything sports-related, but The Bachelor. But, you know, I'll take what I can get. Yes, you're, you're hearing the voice of Gabby Velasquez, who used to be just, I guess, the digital editor of the Tribune and now has taken on a larger role with the USA Today Network. And she's here to talk about The Bachelor, obviously, former Mizzou football player and actually longtime Colombian native. He worked in Colombia. He's from Eureka, which is in the St. Louis area, but lived here up until becoming The Bachelor. Clayton Eckerd debuted on Monday. Gabby, just give me your overall thoughts about uh, a Mizzou football player being The Bachelor. Well, he's a he's an interesting guy based on what I saw on the show. I think the most significant thing about this guy is that he 100% truly believes he's going to find love on The Bachelor, which if you look up the success rate for uh, relationships started on The Bachelor and Bachelorette uh, is honestly, I, I didn't I don't want to say it's naive, but it's it's admiral. The amount of belief that he has the Washington admirals. Uh, But the amount of belief that he has in uh, his ability to finally, not just to like meet someone, but to find someone. He wants babies. He wants a family, white picket fence, probably a golden retriever that has the exact same personality as him. Uh, You know, he he really believes he's going to find love. I'll give it this. On paper, Clayton looks to be a pretty, and I don't mean this word the wrong way, but vanilla bachelor. Oh, I described him as the uh, personification of the concept of vanilla. He's right. very he's very vanilla, and I don't mean that but, mainly, but he's just, he's sweet, he's everywhere. He looks like, you know, if I were to picture a Ken doll, he's probably what would end up happening. I mean, I mean, I mean he's only 6'5", muscular has a good job dimples you know, yeah but i'll say this on paper he's vanilla but i actually i thought i was i was pretty impressed by him by himself on monday night yeah you know i think it's really nice to see him before this show breaks him <laughs> well how do we know it already hasn't yeah oh yeah we'll get there in all the ways this show has already broken <laughs> Wh- which which of his potential suitors impressed you the most this is going to sound really mean the the first one who left him sally sally good Sa- good old sally with an e S- Sally, um, Sally, whose who... job description was previously engaged. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that. that she, she, it was interesting because that I think that's the earliest elimination in, in Bachelor history on a season before they go to the mansion. Yeah, and, hey, yeah. but I respect her for knowing that she wasn't in an emotional place to be on reality television. Usually, people are like, "Oh, I'm emotionally unstable. Let's go." But she she was smart enough to remove herself from the running, at least for now. I'd love for them to bring her back. I mean, she was nice, pretty, seemed to be emotionally aware. So very heartbroken. (laughs) So I know they used to do this thing on Jimmy Kimmel where they he has he has a top four and then a winner pick. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I got my top four down. But I'm more confident in number one than I am two through four. Yeah. So I'll say this: I'm almost 
confident, serene, is going to be in the top four, serene. but not get there. Ooh, she, she, she's going to be eliminated at four three. See, I I haven't looked up any of the spoilers because you know reality I. Steve has already decided who the top three are, but I haven't looked it up. I I think. I, and I, I don't know if this is just him having a huge crush at first and it's going to fizzle out, but Teddy, I mean, he I, kind of broke ooh. when she walked out. Like, he looked at her and he just forgot how to human. Yeah. I, I, wasn't there a girl named Rachel? Yeah. As well? I, I got a good feeling about her, too. But I'm going to bet on Gabby. <laughs> my winner pick is going to be Susie. <laughs> I'm taking Susie. I only I only bet on Gabby because she was the only one who made me have an actual double take. Uh, at her introduction, which I don't know. Am I allowed to say what her introduction was on this podcast? As long as you don't cuss. Okay. Uh, well, she brought out a pillow that had his face on it. Yeah. Said no. she would like, like to like, sit on his face. Right. And I'm sorry, well, kids. There's a, there's a double entendre there, but uh, yes. on paper, there's nothing wrong with sitting on pillows. That's, no. that's what we're trying to say. Um, but, she's but. a Broncos cheerleader. I looked up her Instagram. So she knows Drew Locke. You know, allegedly, maybe, uh, uh, maybe. I don't know. How much interaction <laughs> she, are they allowed to have? She with definitely players? knows Drew Locke. It's it's a question whether Drew Locke knows her. I guess. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So my winner pick, as I've said, is going to be Susie. I like Susie. I, I I think that not only does she have the personality for it, but like, I think that it, it, one thing I've learned just from and being sped up on the like, I guess the Idiot's Guide to the Bachelor and learning about it to cover Clayton is that. She just, it seems like she's a very producer-planted, great pick that if Clayton doesn't pick her, she could be the next Bachelorette. Yeah. Like, she is, like, there she's was a girl. She's close to his, she's his age. He's, like, 28, right? Right. And, and like, she's actually a, there, his age. There was a girl on the show whose name was Madison Pruitt, who I knew because she was in the SEC fandom because she was on the show. I don't know anything else about her, except for she went to Auburn. And... Like, I don't know why, but I see a blonde Madison Pruitt when I see Sue, <laughs> when I see Susie. I don't know anything else. Just that, that's my interpretation. Susie was also just nice. Like, some of the introductions, I didn't realize how unhinged they got. Yeah, I mean, But, either. I mean, you had one who was introduced by a 63-year-old woman, and I honestly really wanted the 63-year-old woman to be the actual, like, contestant. You had right, the lady right. who, uh, oh, gosh the one who had the dirtiest joke even more than yeah let's not share that one yeah i'm, I'm i can't say that one yeah it involves alcohol right right yeah and uh, there was there was a few mizzou references and oh, oh well the well the i mean the one the auburn girl who was like oh they're tigers you're a tiger and i'm just clemson, like oh wow yeah. amazing well no that was clemson it was she was yeah. a clemson girl there's mm-hmm. too many tigers in in sports yeah yeah, so that's kind of uh, the, the Bachelor recap of the week. Yeah, well, I mean, we haven't even talked about the fact that he did get rejected twice in his opening uh, week. The, the, I mean, the second that, girl, honestly, bullet dodged. Claire, was that her name? She yes, she Claire. was just sitting there like, oh, I hate him. And then another girl was like, hey, she said she hated you. And then he said to her face, do you hate me? Oh, that's not what I said. And I'm like, is, are we in high school? Or like, did we return to high school? What's going on? Yeah, no, that was that was an interesting. I did. What was the name of the girl that had the uh, did the take on office space and they had her destroy a printer? Oh, gosh. I like her. I don't remember her name. Yeah. Well, there was also Tessa, whose name is Asset backwards. Uh, yeah, I remember um, that. That's, that's going to actually stick with me for the rest of my life, I think, that Tessa is Asset backwards. But, you know, here we are. Yeah. No, I, a lot of women, like, I mean. 31? 
Well, well now it's down to like yeah, somewhere in the twenties, yeah. but more manageable twenties. <laughs> what, what what a hard life for Clayton Eckerd that he has to date twenty something beautiful women. What, yeah. what, what, a, what a I mean, chore. have you seen the promo for next week's episode? There was like three different women ugly crying in a like ten second long clips. Like I spend an uncomfortable yeah. length of time watching these women cry. So I'm an I'm an avid fan of MTV's The Challenge, and I know okay. how kind of that's filmed in advance, and I know the producers edits, but it's still not over the top. It seems a little still like a fluid situation. Mm-hmm. To me, The Bachelor comes off as the opposite end of that spectrum, where like mm-hmm. they showed us the final three, and I guess technically now the final two in that promo of this season on The Bachelor, and I mean like yes, yeah, Susie's part of it. They might superimpose it, but like to me, it's just like I don't know. It, it's just this is a lot going on at once for them to just kind of ruin Clayton's season. Like, this either means that something's going to happen where, like, this is a complete curveball, or that's ABC admitting the rest of the season is kind of boring until we get to this point. Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, it's kind of weird. A lot of people are really, like, whelmed. Not over-underwhelmed, just whelmed by Clayton, because he really is just kind of like a guy. Yeah. You know, nothing historic about him. Uh, you know, first Mizzou guy, but who outside of Columbia is going to be like, wow, they finally got a Mizzou Tiger on The Bachelor. Like, you know. There was one on The Bachelorette before. Uh, Sarah, whatever her name was from Matt's season, was on yeah. the Yeah. First male, maybe. I don't know. I don't even know about that. I don't know. I think. I don't know. They. Okay, so. See, it was, good. It was interesting well, enough. Let me pitch this to you, Gabby. The recent Mizzou athlete who should be the next Bachelor Uh-oh. would make the most sense would be blank. Hmm. Harrison Mavis. Ooh. Does he have a girlfriend? I, I I don't know. Harrison, if you're listening, you can confirm or deny. Harrison, I'm sorry to your girlfriend if you have one, but um, I think I mean, who better to sell a season of television off of than someone whose nickname is the Thicker Kicker? Okay. He's got well, his own burger already, so he knows how to brand. You know. I, I, I can't beat that. Harrison Mavis might have to win. Yeah. You don't Harrison have to Mavis. worry about his future because he's a good kicker, and you know. Yeah. On today, the third anniversary of the double doink, it's important to remember the good kickers in our lives. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Gabby, for joining <laughs> us on on this week's episode of Mizzou, Mizzou Sports Podcast. Hey, you well, know maybe what? We'll do these bachelor recaps from time to time, maybe. Who yeah, knows? and you know, I'll be writing uh, weekly recaps in the Tribune uh, every week uh, to follow this journey of love. Um, so uh, you you will definitely be able to see how I mentally can handle the show throughout the throughout the year. All right, for Chris Krasinski and Gabby Velasquez, I've been Eric Guam. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Mizzou Sports Podcast, and we will see you next time.